Well, um, thank you for being here today, our Mother's Day special. For those of you moms that aren't able to be with us today, I want to say Happy Mother's Day. We miss you, we love you, and we are praying for you, okay? A few announcements uh, that we have right now. We do have a standing order still to, to stand down as a church, yet we are still open, uh, not in defiance. We are practicing our social distancing. As you've noticed, you know, we have our lines spread out wherever we're at. We're taking care of all things here, trying to help and make sure that we don't get anybody mad, upset. Uh, so please remember the social distancing. If you haven't seen, if, of course, if you're like a family that, that you're here together, that's fine, you know, uh, but yet you have to keep that in mind. Also uh, coming up soon is Memorial Day weekend. I'm praying that we will be able to have a barbecue or something, a celebration of some sort at least outside, keeping our distances, but we'll see what takes place then. Uh, fellowship is so much needed. I sure do miss that fellowship, folks. I want you to know that. But, um, uh, and then, of course, uh, don't forget Father's Day. Mm. <laughs> don't forget Daddy's Day. <laughs> All right. Uh, we do have a couple of prayer requests. We're still praying for our sister Stephanie. Some of you already know uh, what's, what's going on there, and, uh, and we'll just keep it at that. Pray for Mauro as well and the family, the, the whole family. They're just really dealing with this whole situation um, but uh, she's just had not been able to get better. It's been months now. Uh, but, um, you know, right, thank God that she's in good hands right now. Any other prayer requests before we get started? Any other prayer requests? Besides our moms, we're going to pray for you moms specifically today. Okay? All right. Well, if, if nothing else, let's go. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, uh, once again, we thank you for giving us opportunities like this to be able to gather, whether in person or online. And Lord, we know that uh, it's not the size of our congregation, it's the size of our God. We come to worship you, not the crowds, not the congregation, not the people that are here, but we come to give to you, Father, what's rightfully yours. And so we ask you, Lord, to speak through your word today, as you have been in the past. I thank you for the many encouraging words that I've been receiving from people uh, just throughout uh, the state and the city and, and those that are tuning in. I just thank you for their lives, and, and Father, help us never to, to take any of that for granted. We know that you are ministering and touching people in ways that we'd never thought possible before. And so, Father, I pray that as you build this church, whether it's in this building or whether it's in each individual home, that you build that church, you build it strong, and help us to understand what it is you want us to do, to share the gospel, because the gospel is the message. And as we've learned throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul was trying to get that message across. Get it across to us today. Help us to understand the severity uh, of not knowing, uh, the severity of a false gospel. Help us to understand, Lord, that it's your gospel, your precious blood, what you died for, for sinners just like us, wretched, vile human beings. And you, my God, a holy God, caused yourself to be the propitiation the penalty, the ransom, so that we wouldn't have to do that. And we acknowledge that this morning. We acknowledge that throughout our life. Help us to live in such manner. Lord, we do want to honor our moms today throughout the world. We want to honor our moms that are, of course, with us, and, and even those uh, that have gone on before us. Lord, we pray for those that are celebrating Mother's Day today without their moms. And I pray just a gentle reminder, and God, I just pray that you just give them uh, a, a comforting word, encouraging them as well. We pray for our moms here today and for those that are at home celebrating without their family with them. And I know, Lord, that you're going to touch each one of them in a very special way. So this morning, Lord, we come to give to you this prayer request. We also lift up to you those that have been uh, homebound. Uh, we pray for those that uh, haven't been able to come out of home for various reasons. And uh, the one person we pray for specifically is our, our sister Stephanie, Lord. We just lift her up to you right now. We've been praying for these last few weeks. She's been enduring these things for some time now. And uh, Lord, it, uh, just now is another uh, news that uh, is really hurting and, and causing uh, pain within this family. Lord, I just pray you minister to them. Minister to each one of them, uh, to Mauro as well as a husband, and help him to minister to his wife. Lord, we do want to uh, just take that opportunity to minister to people around us and pray for them and encourage them as often as we can. So we thank you, God, for this opportunity, for your yeah. word. We just pray that you just lead us in all things. And uh, thank you, God, for just providing for us in all ways, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen and amen. amen. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 
1 Corinthians chapter 16, we are finishing up. 1 Corinthians, we're almost there. We're going to be going through verses 5 through 12, and I thought maybe we would be able to finish it up by now, but, you know, we, we have a, a few more, uh, maybe another day or two, uh, and then we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians. This is just the way we started. We started out of the book of Luke, and from Luke we went to Acts, and Acts, I just went straight into Romans, and since we were in Acts and Romans, I says, well, let's do 1 Corinthians, and now, well, what naturally comes after 1 Corinthians? Titus, right? No. <laughs> Second Corinthians. And who knows? We'll, we might get through this New Testament uh, before Christ comes. If not, we'll be sitting in heaven with him and we'll just learn it all by him, right? We'll be able to experience everything that he's been talking to us about. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I'd like to go on through verse 5 and on. And as I mentioned to you last week and a couple of weeks ago, and this is very interesting because I've gotten a lot of uh, response from how we were able to proclaim what we said, what I said a few weeks ago, a couple weeks now. And that was during that time where we are going to be reformed and transformed into new bodies to enter into heaven because these bodies here are only good for this planet and this atmosphere. And when we get into heaven, we need a whole new different body. And the reason we need a body is, well, because that's what God's going to give us. Jesus Christ is going to come by in the twinkling of an eye. We'll be changed and we'll be in heaven with him. And the, the title was Reformed and Transformed, and it gave me an opportunity to go back and review and uh, revisit a lot of the messages that we have been doing, that I've been doing at least for the last 20 years. And I mentioned that seven years ago, I made that change. And, and it wasn't like it was just a change that, uh, oh, wow, I should be doing this. It was something that I was already doing in a sense, but it, it was a different type of service, a message. You may know a little bit about how messages are, are crafted. There are what they call topical. And there's just people come up here and tell stories, you know, about life and in general. And, you know, God's going to have to deal with each one of them. They'll have to answer to God. And I'll, like I'll have to answer to him as well. And, uh, and, and the, the topical messages that we were doing, they were very sound. I, I know that they were messages that were coming out of God's word. But they were messages that I was just kind of eclectically taking from different places and sometimes even using a different translation in order to make it fit to what I wanted it to say. And people were blessed and people encouraged me about that. But if, about seven years ago, I started to realize, you know, there's something within that type of style that I, I, I wanted to get back to the word of God. And during that time, I personally was going through a reformation as well. And, and so we are being more strategic we are more deliberate about what we do here as a church. And unfortunately, it's not very common. It's not very appealing. Uh, it, it is not something that most people are really going to have a, uh, those that are, are having an itchy ear to hear something good, uh, it, it's not going to resonate well with them. But I'm sorry, folks. I'm here for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here to serve God, and this is his word, and here's what we're doing. And, you know, I have to preface what I'm going to say. I have to say that first because what I'm going to say next is, well, we are now in a topical message. <laughs> and the reason we're in a topical message is because Paul all of a sudden opens it up. Okay, I've taught you all my theology. I've taught you all my ethics. I've taught you all everything that you needed about Christology, about eschatology, the end times. And now I just want you to, it's kind of like one of those um, moments that you have when you visit somebody that you love. You're Okay, we're going to go now. All right, oh yeah, by the way. Oh, yeah, by the way, you know, I, I don't know if that ever happens to you, but, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, an hour later, you know, oh, yeah, oh, yeah by the way. <laughs> and so Paul comes out and says, you know, I want you to put some, some of these things into practice. You, you know, and we talked about that last week, the collection. Oh, yeah, I want to share with you guys about the collection. Uh, this is to help the people in Jerusalem. It's to help the church in general. It's to help you. As we mentioned last week, the, what you give is going to be, it's going to come back to you. What you sow is what you reap. You sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. You sow sparingly, guess what? You're going to reap sparingly. And, and so what Paul was, was talking, he says, you know, here's some things, here's how to give, when to give, on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. And we talked about that last week. Get the message. And what Paul is now doing, he's situated, he says, okay, here's what I want you to do as a church, folks. I want you to grow this church. I want you to grow your family. I want you to grow this body. And here's how, uh, here's how he's doing it. And he leads by example. And there are, there are at least a dozen, almost a dozen, how-tos in this portion of Scripture. And we're only going to touch on a few of them. 
And, and I think it's appropriate that we have this one here at this point in time because it, it kind of fits with our theme of Mother's Day on how to raise up and build a family, how to build a church. But we're going to be talking specifically about a church and I'd like for you to apply this to your life in your family, as a mom, as a, as a person, as an individual. Because, well, I know that all of you guys aren't moms here. Right, Ken? You're not a mom. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, all right. So, so, but, but you can take these messages, this point here, and apply it to your life as well. But before I go there, I'd like for us to go back a little bit further now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And what Paul was talking about is how the new man, the old man, how Christ is the new Adam, and, and, uh, and Adam was the one that brought sin into the world. And, and then Paul says this in verses 11 and 12, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman." And all things are from God. God. Paul was establishing this hierarchy, this order of how things are made and done. And so the, the order of worship and the reason that worship was the women were supposed to cover their heads and the men were not supposed to cover their head and, and how they were supposed to enter into the, the sanctuary or the place of meeting. And, and Paul is laying down some, some very firm foundational uh, laws, commandments. He says, everything's got to be done in order. In a very specific order. There is a reason why, yes, everyone is equal. Yes, all of you are, are equal on the level of uh, human beings, of people that God has died for. You know, and, and what happens is that if Satan cannot get men to deny or disregard God's word, he will try to get them to misinterpret it and change it. And so I know that for a long time, people have had a hard time, and I'm talking about the world, they have a hard time with the Bible because it seems to them that the Word of God denigrates women or uses them or talks bad about them and subjugates them. But in actuality, every time the Bible talks about a woman, it, it lifts them up. Now, if you've been following along with us these last few weeks, specifically the last few days in 2 Kings, First and 2 Kings, in the daily reading of the Bible, in the daily reading of the Bible, you'll see that uh, Jehoshaphat had a, you know, was the king and he was only six years old and they always named the mother. And so... Some of these kings didn't do well. As a matter of fact, a lot of them did evil in the sight of the Lord, worse than their fathers. And, and some of these kings were 6, 12 years old, very young, you know, 15, 16, 20 years old. And they always mentioned the mother. And it, it, is, it, it doesn't state specifically what their influence was. But as you know, men, that your moms influenced you either in a good way or in a bad way. And, and it, is, it is a mom's responsibility to raise up their child. Now, yes, as Paul said, for as a woman was made from man, okay, God made Adam, pulled out the rib, created woman. So, but he says, so man is now born of woman. There is a natural connection, a natural uh, design that the two that have become one shall work together in different roles. And man's authority over woman is not delegated authority. It's not something that is derived from authority, but it's given by God. God gave it to the men to have this type of authority. And when it, that authority is misused, whether it's a man or a woman, when that authority is misused, whether in uh, being a, a, a chauvinist or a feminist, I couldn't remember that word. I don't use it. I don't know. But the chauvinist or a feminist both are perversions of God's plan. And God never intended it for the, to, to be that way. And somehow, it gets attributed to the church. And so far from oppressing the women, the church has always uh, been the greatest liberator of women, especially in the Greek and Roman periods. They were, women were considered as slaves. Jesus Christ is the only person that had women disciples. And even in the Jewish culture, they had this idea of women were less than. But the gospel always recognizes women, the women that were in ministry. And we thank God for that. As Paul had said, it's because of their, their labor and what they do to bring man into the world. And as men, as children, we are all influenced by our moms. And I want to challenge every mother here today, young or old, that you are, can be the greatest influencer in all the world. When you take to heart what God has designed you to do and be. Somebody once said, I think uh, about Alexander the Great, I, I guess it says uh, some of the effect of the man or the woman who rocks the cradle is the one that will rock the world. 
And basically, how you raise up and what you say, they will go and conquer or do whatever it is that they end up doing. Now, now, men, women, we know that we live in a broken culture. We live in a broken society. And so this doesn't resonate well with a lot of people. Some people just can't understand that depth, that warmth, that love that a lot of moms have. And I want you to know that God himself has provided for you an unconditional love. He is your father. When we talk about Father's Day, the same thing. Fathers have had a very difficult, a very hard time on their children. They, they've, they've exercised this authority that seems to be coming from nowhere else but from Satan himself. And uh, taking it upon themselves to, to be that authoritative figure, not the a figure that God had given them. So in, in the Lord... Paul says, women is not independent from man or man a woman. In other words, they are both equal in, in what God is doing in their life. Different roles, but doing the same function for God, each one of us. And I thank God for the godly women that we have, those that are praying within our church, those that are willing to, to go the extra yard, those that show up and, and take care of things that otherwise somebody else would have to take care of or nobody would take care of. And so everybody has a certain role, especially for moms and for, for dads. And, and this is what Paul is encouraging us in this time of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 through 12. When, he, when we look at this, and I'm going to read the, uh, this uh, from this point forward. When we look at this, we apply it to what Paul is saying about himself and about the people that he works with. But you can also apply this to your home. In verse 5, Paul says he has plans for travel. And it reads like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He goes, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for the word that you give us today and how it is that you're able to give us instruction on all it is that we are to do. And I pray, Father, that as we honor our moms today and as we honor each person that is here as well, for the moms that have gone on before us, for the moms that are with us today, for those that are tuning in, I pray, God, that you just bless each one of them. You have this general blessing, this general grace for all of us. Yeah. But God, I know you have a very special grace for those that have come to know who you are. I thank you for the calling that you've given each one that, is, that knows you as their Lord and as their Savior. So Father, once again, take your word, bless it, and nourish us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone says, amen, amen and amen. amen. The very first thing that Paul says, he says, I, I, will, I will visit you soon. He says, I, I'm on my way. After passing through Macedonia, I've got these trips that I've planned. I'm, I'm planning ahead. He stopped in Ephesus, and in Ephesus, he gets, he gets a letter from the people in Corinth. And, and in Ephesus, he's, he's re, uh, returning back the call. He's returning back the letter that he had received. And, and so it's taken him a while to write this, and now he's going to send it possibly through Timothy. It sounds like he's sending it through Timothy. So the very first thing that we learn from Paul is, number one, we need to make some plans, but we need to keep them flexible. Make plans, but keep them flexible. Paul says at the very beginning, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Every plan, every uh, agenda, everything that we do should always be prefaced or at least Ended with, if the Lord permits, if it's God's will. Amen? In Spanish, uh, every time we say, okay, we'll see you later. Okay, permita Dios. You know, in other words, if it's God's will. 
and, and we should be at least of that mindset to think we ought to think we can't just make the plans and, and believe that they're going to happen. We have to have this understanding that it's always God's will. We may not make it home today, but we have to always understand that if it's God's will. And Paul was doing this, and we know this because if you follow Paul's journeys after this letter, he didn't go straight to Corinth. He had to make some other stops, and it took him a little bit longer. But he says, this is what I want to do. And, and I know that as you're raising children, and as long, I know that as you're building a family, and I know that whenever you're doing life, you have plans. And I mean, I'm probably one of the biggest ones that gets very frustrated when my plans don't come through. I used to have a very, I used to have a joke that, uh, that we came down to Southern California and uh, I came here to, to study at Cal Baptist. And once I was done at Cal Baptist, we we're going to go back to Fresno where we're from, but God asked us to start a church. And then I usually say, well, I, I hate it when God messes up my plans. But in, ex, in essence, really it's what exactly, it's exactly what God wanted. I made plans. I wanted to get my education and then head back home. But guess what folks, this is home. And here is where home is. No telling what would have happened if I had defied that. But I thank God that he kept us here to continue on in the plans that he has, that he has for us. And so we make plans and we want to make them uh, flexible because there's times that things aren't going to work out the way that we think they are. Look at what James says in James chapter 4. If you read along with me, it says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet... You do not know what tomorrow will bring. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. What is life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Amen. Every single time that we do something, every, every time that we're making plans, we have to understand they may not come through. It's like the man that Jesus says about the guy that, that uh, it was a parable that he says, you know, I, I've got such a huge bumper crop. I'm going to build me barns and I'm going to, you know, invest and I'm going to grow this company as big as I can. And then Jesus turns around and says, you fool, you don't even realize that your life is de uh, it's, it's being demanded of you today. We don't realize that. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't make any plans. Paul made plans. Paul made goals. He says, here's what I'm going to do. But if it's God's will, then you know what? I'm not going to do that. Many of you have had some, uh, and probably even do now, have some very lofty goals for your children. Uh, you, that you do. I've always wanted my kids to be superstars, and, and they are. But I wanted them to make money out of being superstars. I can't pay them that much for being superstars. I, I wanted them to be baseball players and soccer players, and you know. And those are my goals. Okay, granted, we all want that for our children. You know, and uh, it, it, all I ask for of them now is, you know, just be good people, love God, love Jesus, and love your family. You know, that's, that is my goal for them. That's my desire. And that can happen in any kind of way. But you have goals, or you've set goals, or your parents might have set goals for you. And make sure that the goals that you set are always flexible. And, and don't let them be such lofty goals that are unattainable. I remember this one kid said to me, he says, I want to be a president of the United States. Well, I don't know if you can be president of the United States. My mama said I can be whatever I want. All right, so what are, what are the three branches of government? And he goes, the three branches of government? I don't know. You don't even know. The, then that's basic high. Well, it used to be basic high school stuff. You know, there's the legislative branch, the judicial branch, and then there's the uh, executive branch. What's that? Never mind. I don't know if you'll ever learn. You got to at least know that to be president. And so we can't be setting these lofty goals for our kids and ourselves. Paul, Paul set goals. He set goals that were attainable. And even sometimes he set goals that were downright dangerous. And he knew it. And he would go to places that would require his life. And he knew he was going to get arrested. And where did he get all this, this training from? It was from Jesus Christ himself. He followed Jesus Christ's order on what he did. He knew he was being crucified that day in Jerusalem. And yet he marched in the week before. Make plans, but keep them, keep them flexible. Number two, understand that the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the goal. Now, now, Paul says this, and it's very, it's a small verse in verses 8 and 9, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. You know, I, I, I want to go, yet I just realized there's this huge door of opportunity. Now, 
many of us probably would take that as an opportunity to grow my business, an opportunity to get to know more people, okay, an opportunity to start a church, an opportunity for whatever personal gain I can get. But Paul's main focus was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we know what the gospel is. The gospel is basically that Jesus Christ died, buried, and resurrected. We've been saying that. But why did he do that? Why did Jesus Christ die on the cross? And, and why is it that we believe that and preach that and teach that? Because We have to take a step a little bit further back, you see, because it's because of God's grace. The gospel, the essence of the gospel is grace. But the essence of grace is obedience. And, and the, the only thing that's going to help us to grow, to become more like Jesus Christ, if we come to recognize we're not there yet. We are in a state of what a lot of theologians and people call, uh, we're, we're decrepit, we're de deprived, we are vile human beings. We are such a stain on God's record for making us in such a way and getting us to the point where we're at now. He made us to be holy, yet we've departed so far from that. And we can't see this ugliness that we have until we see the holiness of God. God's holiness should cause you to fall on your face and say, depart from me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Depart from me, for I am a sinner. Depart from me. And, and my wretchedness, my wretchedness is what God himself died for. He died, he became a man. He came to pay the price that none of us could pay. He paid it on the cross, so this way that we can have access to the Father, so we can have access to God. And that gospel is the message that the world needs, but that message is not what the world wants to hear. The world wants to hear, you know, God loves me. You know, he made me. He made me special. Uh, you know, I, I, am, I am God's favorite, and God isn't going to punish me. He can't send people to hell. Yeah, I mess up a little bit. You know, we have phrases like, you know, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. The problem with that, folks, is that, well, he sends the sin to hell, but he's also going to send the sinner to hell. And unless God himself imputes his grace upon you, something that I can't do, something that you can't do, God himself has to do it on you. Unless he himself imputes his grace on you. He came down to become Jesus Christ, died on a cross so that you wouldn't have to. And when I recognize that and you recognize that, the only thing that we have left is just to obey, is to follow through in a holy living. We need to understand that the gospel is the goal of what we're doing. Not to feel good, not just to sing songs and make big buildings. You know, that's part of what we do as far as trying to get the message out. Not to, to get happy and, and all ooey and gooey and whatever the case may be. God is not this cosmic genie that I can demand him to heal me. I can demand him to get rid of this COVID-19. That I can demand him to heal my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my wife. My, it, I can't, that's not who we are supposed to be. God himself is standing there just waiting for you to obey. Amen. He wants each one of us to surrender. This is what Titus says. He says, for the grace of God has appeared to all men, to all of us, bringing salvation for all people, training us to denounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. This is our goal. This is where we are to be doing, where we're supposed to be going, is to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And it's unfortunate that in a lot of, Christian people, there, there is no control. There is a fear of this virus. There is a fear of all these different things that, that, that just seem to, to weigh on people's life. You know, when you worry, worry, you've, you've heard me say this before, is, is believing that there's no God, that he's not going to take care of you. But worry is focused thinking on God, is worship. But when we worry, we worship the worry. We worship the problem. And we focus on the problem instead of on the God, the God that created us, the God that is the, the, our Father, the God that died on the cross for us. We have to understand and recognize that He is the one that's going to see us through this whole process. It is difficult to see in the midst of the storm. It is difficult to see the things that seem to be surrounding us. 
You see, but we have to understand that as Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your, your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not what you do. It's not your work that gets you saved. It's the work that was done on the cross that Jesus Christ no ransomed your life. No My responsibility now is just to listen to what God has to say. Go through his word. Okay, Lord, here's how you want me to respond. I shared this a little bit in my prayer just a little bit ago, that God has grace, and some thinkers and some people, they believe in this, uh, and they teach, rightly so, that there is what's called a general grace, where all of us get this general grace. You know, God's grace is sufficient for all of us. He causes the sun to shine on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. He, he, he helps us throughout our life. But then there's this special grace that comes only from the blood of Jesus Christ that not only gets you through this world, but gets you out of this world. And, and this special grace is given to you by God himself. See, no one can come to the Father, Jesus said, but by me. No one can come to God on his own accord. This is why Paul says, it's not by what you do, it's by what's already been done. And if you can identify yourself to that person, if you can identify yourself to that, the, the desire to want to know God even more so, then, then it's more than likely he's already called you. My question is, what are you doing with it? You see, there is, there is this gift that God has given you. No, it's not speaking in tongues. No, it's not healing. No, it's not any of those things. The gift that he gave you is the fruit of the Spirit. One fruit. And my responsibility is to respond and to act within that fruit. I've got to work that fruit in my life. And you notice, it's not fruits. It's not like this bowl of fruits. You go in this, okay, well, today I need, I need some patience today. Let me have that one. You know, you know, I need some grace. The very first one is love. You know, and I was talking to somebody about this this last week, and I says, you know, love. Uh, you know, for us, we love everything. I love football. I love this. I love that. I love my mom. I love my wife. I love my kids. But for the Greek, they had these very special words. And the word that is used there is this unconditional agape love, a love that only comes from God. And we got to get past that. Understand how that agape love can function within our life and use, and not use it, but operate through that agape love. And until we get to that next level, until we get to that point or through that, the next one's not going to come through. It's not going to be that easy. Many people want patience. Well, guess what? It's love, joy, peace. Patience is the fourth attribute. I got to learn how to love the unlovable. Have you ever been in unlovable situations where people are just so unlovable you just can't seem to love them? It's because you haven't learned how to love them. Learn how to love them. Once you do that, then you can have joy. Then you can have peace. Then comes the patience. All of this is building up within you, and it's not something you have to pray for because you already have it. He gave it to you. You have that fruit in you if you've been called according to God's purpose. You know, there's been a lot of fear of all the things that are going on in this life. And I want you to turn with me to John chapter 13. Uh, you can turn your Bibles there if you like, and you can look up here. John chapter 13. But in John chapter 13, I, I was, let me ask you a question as you turn there. If you knew, if you knew that tomorrow, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you would no longer exist on this planet. If this was your last 24 hours of, the, of your life. If you knew for certain that nothing else was going to matter, uh, what you did in between, your life was going to end at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. What would you do? What would you do? Just think about that. You don't have to answer it. Some of you are thinking, well, I mean, you know, casino's closed, so I can't go to the casino. Uh, party like it's 1999. No, no, that was like 20 years ago. Uh, you know, I'll go out. You know, I mean, we've seen these movies that, you know, this is the last ditch effort. I'm dying tomorrow, so I might as well just get all my life out of it. And then right at 2.59, I'll confess and ask God to forgive me. I'll wait until that, since I already know. And, and I can share with you what Jesus did. And in John, as I was saying, in John chapter 13, this is what Jesus did. And what he did at the very beginning, he says, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, 
to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. See, Jesus knew that the hour had come, that the time to depart to the Father. And he, what did he do? In verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper table. And what did he do? Laid aside his, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus had dinner with his disciples. Jesus taught his disciples. All of that was, eh, we do that all the time. But he did something very special on the last day on earth. He served his disciples. He washed their feet. Folks, if that's not a picture of what we should be doing, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I am being poured out. I've done everything I can. Everywhere Paul went, he was all gung-ho for the gospel of Jesus Christ. People need to know that they're wretched. People need to know that they're depraved. People need to know that they cannot get to heaven unless they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's got to be the goal of my life, of your life, of the church. What did Jesus do in his last 24 hours? He washed disciples' feet. Now, I'd like to take credit for that insight, but I, I can't. I read that somewhere uh, just recently, but it, it just blew me away. The last 24 hours, serve. And we need to live as if this was the last 24 hours. Serve. Serve Jesus Christ. Serve the body. Serve people. Serve the church. Number three. Encourage the leadership of your church. Encourage the leadership of your church. Encourage the, the little ones in your life. En encourage those. They're going to they're gonna get so much discouragement in life. So many disappointments. They already get them now. We tell our kids, you know, we'll do that. Some of you have already learned how to get away from lying. You know, if it's possible. Oh, you know, I got to do it now. If God wills. <laughs> if it's God's will, we'll do it. Oh, God didn't will it. Okay. They're going to get a lot of disappointments in life. As they grow up, they're going to get a lot of disappointments. They're going to be hurt. We need to encourage those little ones, moms. You are the one that is rocking that cradle, forming and shaping. But Paul is talking here about Timothy. Timothy was his son. Not necessarily his son in the flesh, but his son in the spirit. Timothy was a half-breed. He was half Greek, half Jew. Timothy wasn't really liked too much because he was a half-breed. He wasn't like that much because he wasn't all Jewish, and so the people didn't really accept him as such. And what Paul did is he went ahead and had him circumcised and say, look, he's Jewish now. Yeah, we don't like him. Timothy had a problem with the church that he was at in Ephesus. And, and Timothy was, was a pastor there, and he would, uh, Paul would encourage and send them letters. You know, you got you to take it easy. You know, encourage. Don't let them intimidate you because of your, your age. But you can do this, Timothy. You are a man from God. I saw how your mother and your grandmother raised you up. I saw and I heard that just the faith. It doesn't talk much about his dad, but the faith that they had for you. And so what Paul says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. I'm sure that they must have said, oh, he's going to send Timothy? Come on. Dude, why is he going to send us that inexperienced kid? Why is he going to send us somebody that, we would rather have you, Paul. No, I'm sending Timothy. As a matter of fact, when he gets there, I want you to put him at ease. I want you to help him. You know why? Because for he is doing the work of the Lord. He's doing the work of the Lord. You know, parents, I want you to know something. If you can help your children understand that the work that they do is for the Lord, they will succeed. Amen. They will succeed in whatever they do. And whatever they do, if you just tell them this, what you're doing, you're doing it for the Lord. Amen. So be careful on what you do, because all that you want to do is you want to bring glory to God and enjoy him forever. That's what you want to do. Yeah. And so he goes on to say, doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. He's going to bring back a report. He's going to tell me what you guys said or did or didn't do. 
Okay, and so I need for you to help help him and encourage him and receive him as just as if, it, if it was I. Paul was an encourager of all kinds of ways. When we went to the book of Romans, in chapter 16, Paul does the same thing. Chapter 16 is in Roman. He, he says, you know, okay, I'm going to sign off now, but I, wanna, I want you to know something, that I'm sending Phoebe. Phoebe was the person that, uh, a woman that he sent. Paul recognized her first and foremost, lifted her up, elevated her, helped her. As a matter of fact, he names eight women in the last chapter of Romans. And he names these women by name. And he says, these women have helped in the ministry. Doesn't denigrate them, doesn't talk bad about them, doesn't even exclude them. He, but nobody includes them. And Phoebe was given the responsibility of taking the scroll to Rome. And as he took it, as she took it to Rome, she went with an, with an entourage and people were before her and helping her. And he says, receive her. He says, I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, of all the other saints, of all the other men and women that, that have ministered, getting the gospel out, and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. She has supported us. She has been the, the, the helper in, in raising funds and giving of her own funds and, and ministering to us in, in ways that we really needed her help. And Paul says, and she is a woman of God. I want you to receive her. Paul constantly encouraged his leadership by speaking highly of them, by lifting them up. Folks, I need you to do the same thing in, in your church. Talk highly about your leaders, the people within your church. Talk highly, pray for them, specifically for those that aren't here today. Lift them up, encourage them. And the last thing I want to share with you right now is to recognize the role of all leaders. Recognize the role of all leaders. Not everyone has the same role. There are those that are, have the big mouthpiece, I mean the, uh, the mouthpiece part that stand up here. That's the gift that God has given them. So, some are the hands, some are the feet. Some like to work behind the scenes. There's people that I can't get up here that I, I'd like to get up here, but you know what? Just, just, I'll work behind the scenes. You know, there's, there's now we have a, a, a well, a small team. We, it's a nice team. It's a very good team. It's a team of one. <laughs> and that team is right now taking care of the grounds. Amen. And we're hoping that by the time people come back at the end of this month, I don't know if that's the case yet or not, but it's, the goalposts are constantly changing. We're hoping that by the end of this month, when we start to bring people here, that the facility would look nice. Amen. That it's green. That, it's, that, that it, people admire this place. People take pride in this place. And those that work on the facilities, you, you know that used to be the responsibility of the priests, the Levites. Yeah. 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 They were the ones that handled all the, all the art, artifacts. Yeah. They weren't the mouthpiece. As a matter of fact, Moses had Aaron for a mouthpiece. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we don't hear much about Aaron. We do hear about him, but it was all attributed to Moses. He was the leader. And a lot of the things that happen here on these facilities is, is stuff that's done behind the scenes. And unfortunately, you guys got stuck with me here. But hey, you know, if God can use a donkey, he can use me, right? So we need to recognize the role of all leaders. And, and every year we have what's called a volunteer banquet. And we had one this last year. We, we, we served and we thanked you guys for all the work that you do. Because you are so much needed. Paul says, now concerning our brother Apollos. Now, Apollos wasn't just a regular uh, servant or leader. Apollos was a very eloquent man. He was a learned man. He was a man that learned about you know, all kinds of things. And he had all this experience and all this education. And then they found him. They brought him into the faith. And they lifted him up. And he became a, a very good orator. As a matter of fact, the letter, 1 Corinthians, starts off by saying, there's these different factions, Paul says, these different groups that are being brought up. There's the group that says, I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas, or Cephas, excuse me, uh, Peter, uh, I follow Paul, and some say, oh, we're just the Jesus group. We don't follow anybody. You know, we just wait for Jesus to tell us what to do. And so you had all these different groups, and Apollos was, well, well, he was well-respected. And, and so I, how he states this, now concerning, this is the sixth time that Paul uses that phrase, now concerning, meaning that it was probably part of the letter that he got. And he says, okay, you guys asked about Apollos? Well, I want you to know. He says, I strongly urged him to visit you. Paul had this authority. He says, you know, you need to go. They want you to go. I need for you to go. Uh, I need you to visit with, while the, with, while, uh, with the brothers. But it was not at all his will to come now. 
He will come when he has opportunity. And I had a little bit of a hard time with this portion of scripture because it wasn't his will. Well, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about God's will. And the way it's written, it's almost open-ended. You really can't state that it wasn't necessarily Apollos' will or was it God's will. But the fact of the matter is, is that Paul didn't force the issue on Apollos. And it could be possibly that Apollos, through the Holy Spirit, said, you know, Paul, if I go, there's already a group there that says they're from me. You know, I don't want that attention. I don't want that to happen. So it'd probably be best if I don't go. And he didn't go. He didn't go. But Paul didn't have this argument going on with him. It wasn't like, you know, if all of a sudden there was this group here that, you know, well, I follow Pastor Sal. Well, we're following Ken. So, hey, you know, but we're following Pastor Ken. And there's no, there's no animosity in between the two. There wasn't. And Paul says, you know, I want him to go, but he doesn't want to go. And I'm going to respect the fact that he does not want to go. He's a leader. He's a grown man. He listens to God's word. And if God hasn't prompted him to go, well, then he's not going to go. See, and, and Paul says this because we're all co-laborers. Just to refresh your memory, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You're God's field. God's building. What Paul says, you know, we're just, we're nobodies. We're just a bunch of nobodies. Want to tell people about somebody. We want to tell everybody about this somebody. I think there's a song out there like that. I'm just a nobody. Want to tell everybody about somebody. That's who we are. It's not Pastor Sell's gig. It's not North Park's gig. This is God's doing. And all we are are the ones that are watering, planting the seed, and moving along. And God is going to cause the increase. How does he cause the increase? He calls you. He selects you. This whole reform thinking that we're going through that, you know, I've been talking about now for the last several years, and I'm going to get a little bit more intentional on it, specifically the grace of God, sanctification. That's the process that we're in right now. we got to understand why that's so important, why it is that we need to know that our salvation is secure, that you cannot lose your salvation. You need to understand the full ramifications on that. And as 2 Corinthians starts to unfold, Paul will make a very strict, and he'll, he'll go to that. It says, you got you to live under the sanctification. you got to understand why it is that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Stop using it as a cheap grace. This is not cheap grace, folks. It cost God, the Son, his life. And we cheapen it by saying, hey, well, he doesn't care. He forgives. I'm a work in progress. We have to recognize that we can't do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit's power every single day every single day not just on sunday not just to come forward and be convicted cry and go home and be the same as before personally i think that's one of the detriments that we had with this topical preaching we came we got instructed okay here's what i can do yet people left here the same you cannot leave here the same that's not god's word it does not come back void it should solidify you in the midst of the storm. In the midst of all that's going on, it should solidify you. We have to work together. As the writer of Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift his brother up, his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Paul was never a loner. Though you may feel alone in your family, though you may feel alone all by yourself, you're not alone. What God has done is he's given you the responsibility to raise a family. I'm talking to moms now. To raise a family, to raise children. And you need to recognize their gifts and their abilities and make plans and make goals and desires for your kids. But be flexible. Don't be rigid. Be flexible. Understand that the gospel, and that it pertains to all of us, is the goal. The gospel of Jesus Christ in their life, in my life, in the church's life, that is the entire goal of why we gather. 
And we need to encourage the leadership of your church. Encourage your children. Love on them. Build them up. You know, root for them. Yay, way to go. You know, they might be the slowest in the class. It's okay. Keep going. I love you. You're a winner. Give them the encouragement that they need and recognize that every one of them are different. Recognize that each child is different. They're not all the same. You can't do the one thing with, the, with everybody else. And those of you parents that have raised a lot of children, you know, three or four, I think that's a lot. You'll know that they're all different. And it's never too late to start. It never is. Recognize what God, the gift God has given you. You know, bringing it back home to the church. Recognize the God, what God has given us here. We have an opportunity to rock this world. This small church, we have an opportunity to do so. If we're just willing to trust and obey. Oh, that'd have been such a good song. <laughs> but we got a good one, though. Just for you moms. Let me ask you to stand. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I'm not really sure if you're understanding the full implication of what it means to to grab hold of the gospel. Grace is multifaceted. I I can probably go on for for months just talking about God's grace. But, but what, what really has to come out of the grace of God is my obedience. If I truly believe that I'm saved, if I truly believe, then I, I just need to obey. I need to obey and follow what it is that God has called me to do every day, every hour, every minute, every second of my life. Now, you might say, that's impossible, Pastor. I says, yeah, it is. But all things are possible with God. It's just a matter of where I want to sit at. I can sit here and blame the world, blame my family, blame everybody for all the, the government, for everything so that's true. going on. So nobody in all the planet, I don't care who's president, oh. nobody on this planet has any control over who lives and who dies. There's no quarantine, no mass, no virus, no vaccine or anything that will flatten that curve. <laughs> all right? God already has that under control, all right? And, and so when we put our total faith in God, yeah. we're not going to be reckless. Like somebody asked me, well, don't you have faith? I said, yeah, I have faith. But I'm not going to go out and stand in the middle of the freeway and just say, I have faith, nobody's going to hit me. Got to use wisdom. <laughs> I'm not going to jump off a building and God will catch me. Watch this. Boom. What happened to him? He thought God was going to catch him. Got to use wisdom. However, Bottom line, only God knows. Amen. He's the only one that can flatten any curve. So remember that. But pray for your fellow man. Pray for Stephanie. Pray for those that have lost loved ones. We pray, God, not only for, for those within our church. I, I pray for Sister Joan. I pray you continue to lift her up and, and to help her to get strong, Father. I pray for Stephanie as well. And uh, Lord, and Mauro especially. And, that you continue to help them to minister to each other. I pray for for uh, for Jeannie and for uh, Pappy's wife. Uh, I pray God that you just help them as as they're mourning the loss of their dad and their husband, uh, especially on Father's Day. Father, I know this is not a, a pleasant time, but but like um, like we've said, he is right now. He has front row seats to big church, and he's got big church on his mind and his heart, and he's just loving God. He's loving you, Lord. And I, I pray for those that are struggling with this, uh, the fear of this COVID. Lord, just break that fear. Uh, perfect love always draw, you always just dispels fear. And we just need to perfectly love you and obey what it is that you're doing. And so we ask you, Lord, to continue to lead us. And, and thank you, Father, for the support and for the willingness of your people to uh, congregate and uh, safely and uh, wisely. And we pray, Lord, for the days that are coming that we continue to use that same wisdom in all things. Uh, Lord, because ultimately it's a matter of getting the gospel out. And so we thank you for that, Lord. So we ask you now to take your word, Lord, and apply it to our hearts. Let us move forward, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. Amen.